service this morning. We're great to, it's great to have you here. I welcome all of you. also want to welcome those who are joining us online, including my wife, Sue Beth, who's in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho this morning. We welcome you all to our service. Um, so I'm going to start the service by a little audience participation. I'm going to remove an earplug so that I can hear what you guys say. So the question is, Anybody have any idea why today, of all days, I chose to begin the service with a mighty fortress is our God? Reformation Sunday. On this date in 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, I wanted to just talk a little bit about what he was concerned or what were those theses arguing against. And it was primarily that the Catholic Church was encouraging people to give money to the church to be sure that their sins were forgiven. And they also went so far as to say you could pay to have the sins of your departed loved ones forgiven as well. And it was another thing that he was protesting, and that's the fact that the church at that time was allowing people to believe that they had to earn God's favor by doing or not doing certain things. And, of course, that is the teaching of every religion in all of history except Christianity. Let me just read a little background uh, for you. As Martin Luther studied the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, he came to realize that forgiveness is given by God in spite of what we have done or not done. And it's given when a person comes to see that Christ has done what earns God's favor and that God extends that favor to everyone who stops trusting in what they can do to earn God's favor and instead trust in what Christ has done for them. That is the meaning of faith. Here's Martin Luther's own words. My situation was that, although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement, the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness, meaning Christ, by which, through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies or accepts us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on new meaning. This passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Those are Luther's own words. And so from this understanding, you can see why the motto of the Reformation became in Christ alone, through faith alone. So let's affirm these words as we sing this song. And before we do, let's uh, read some scripture that refers to the, is the passage that uh, Martin Luther was referring to. So let's stand in honor of his word and to prepare ourselves for singing. And let's read together these few verses from Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. Join me. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life.
So let's begin by singing this great hymn that he wrote. Thank you. 
pastors here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. If you're visiting or new with us, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're with us this morning as we come together and worship our God. And if you are new like at the church, our desire to really be about three things. Right? One of those things is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus and with this message that we've been talking about this morning of the grace that's found in Jesus. And the second thing we want to be about is growing together to be like Christ. We want to become more and more like Him. And then finally, we want to serve other people. So those are the three things we really want to be about as a church this morning and at the church throughout the week. Um, so that's those kind of things we want to be about. A couple of announcements in terms of like ways to grow. On November 21st, we're going to have a, a child dedication here. So that's a chance for parents to come and to commit before the church to raise their child in the knowledge of the Lord, but also a chance for the church to covenant with and agree with parents that they're going to come alongside those parents and help them raise their child and help them support them as they raise their child. So if you're interested in dedicating a child on the 21st, you can reach out to me. My email is in the bulletin or you can contact the church office. Just one other quick announcement. Um, so the the Tolkien small group that the coaches lead on Monday night will we'll meet here on this coming Monday instead of at their house. Um, just a little more space and more convenient, so they'll meet here. With all that, let's pray together as we continue our time of worship. Father, we come before you this morning. We praise you for the way you've worked in the lives of each person here to gather up together. You've been at work in each life represented in this room or who's watching online that they're here because of your guiding hand that brought them to this place this morning. No matter what each of us has gone through, you've been at work to bring us to this place this morning we can come before you, we can worship you, we can 
hear your word. We can be conformed more and more into the image of your Son. I do just pray, God, that you would work in each of our lives through music, through hearing your word, through the fellowship we have with one another. You would work in our lives to change us, to mold us more and more to the people you desire us to be. And would the cares of the world be set aside? Would our worries and our fears take a back seat? We come before you and worship you, see your goodness and see your glory and pour out praise to you. Father, we, we do acknowledge that some people watching, some people gathered in this room are walking through hard, dark, challenging times right now where it can be hard to see your goodness and your guiding hand in the midst of those trials. Those people, God, that you would give them a, an extra sense of your goodness even in the midst of trial and hardship, that you would show them you are at work even in challenges and difficulties. I pray that we would be in awe of all you've done for us in Jesus this morning, the way you work in each one of our lives. That as we stand in awe of all you've done for us, that out of the overflow of our heart would come the worship we will sing in a minute. Pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. So next in our worship, we're going to watch a a video clip from the streaming TV series, The Chosen. And in this one, we'll see Peter telling his wife what happened when Jesus called Peter to follow him. And just by background, the series is called The Chosen because it's telling the story of how Jesus chose his followers and the impact that he made on their lives and how their lives were radically changed. And I just want to remind us all that that same call has been extended to each of us, that he has called us to be part of the kingdom work that he's doing, to spreading um, the word about the arrival of God's kingdom on earth. And so let's watch this clip, and then we'll sing together some more. Nothing that makes sense. Last night you told me the truth. Let's continue with that. So, I work 
for hours last night, and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning we finally gave up and we went to shore. But there was this teacher on shore. And Andrew knew who he was, but I'll talk about that later. He told me to cast one more time, which made no sense, but I did it anyway because of the way he, he looked at me. And then so many fish showed up. They were pouring into the boat. So many kept coming that, that Zebedee ended up filling both of our boats, enough to pay off the whole debt. I... Eh... What? I know. Why don't you seem happy? Well, this is hard to explain. More than what you just told me. You no, know, it's like the story of Elijah and Elisha. Yes? Elisha was plying with twelve yoke of oxen when Elijah the prophet just walked up and threw his cloak over him. Right? A calling to follow him. And without delay, Elisha slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, and left everything behind. Yes. The, the teacher... Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the Messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere. And the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was him. And then, and then he called me to follow him. And Andrew, James, and John to go where he goes and, and to learn from him. And he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw. He's the one we've been waiting for all our lives, and I want to quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense, and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this is... sometimes I don't want you to feel abandoned you have to go with him how could I feel abandoned I feel saved yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be easy when have we ever had anything easy <laughs> it's not our people's way So let's stand together and sing Everywhere I Go. Everywhere I go on this road high and low, where I go, I go with you. There's a city that calls me by name. 
even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are my side. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are on my side. Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me. I find it 
interesting, like what kind of things should kind of stick in my brain from my like, childhood, right? like just random moments. And one of those moments is I was in um, middle school, maybe elementary school, and we had this thing from Scholastic called the Weekly Reader. I got them every Friday, right? And, like it's just like little news segments. And I remember like getting this one, this one Friday, and it's talking about how the United States was going to release this new coin worth one dollar with Sacagawea on the coin, and like to have this like chart of pros and cons of like paper money versus coin money, and I was all excited about this. Like I'm like, oh, this is new money, like exciting, right? And like I thought this would be the greatest thing ever. Right? And the the government really wanted to get these coins into circulation when they released them, right? which spoiler alert didn't work out great, right? But they tried really hard. They wanted to get these coins into circulation. And so in an effort to get the coins into circulation, they had this program where you could buy Sacagawea dollar from the government for face value, right? So you could, like, send them $50, and they would send you $50 in Sacagawea coins. But some enterprising individuals saw an opportunity in this, Because right? some of these people had credit cards that offered reward. Right? And they realized like, you could buy the second degree dollar from the government with your credit card. Right? And so all of a sudden there were people buying thousands and thousands of dollars worth of these second degree dollars with their reward credit cards, getting the second degree dollars and immediately bringing them to their bank and depositing them in their bank account and then paying off their credit card. And so like, they were basically getting airplane, airline rewards or whatever it was for no cost to them. Of course, like them, depositing the coins in the bank doesn't do much to get the coins into circulation. And so eventually, like the credit card companies and the government caught on to this plan, so they closed that little loophole. But I just, I like that story of like the way to buy coins and get free rewards because like, there's just something about us that like, like to find loopholes, something that like to find ways to beat the system. There's a British TV show called Taskmaster, and there's like really five contestants, but they're just given these strange tasks to complete. Right? And really the whole stick of the show is that, that the contestants have to come up, come up with creative ways to complete these tasks, and often like trying to find loopholes to complete the tasks in the best way possible. And so there's one challenge, and you just like, the camera shows up, and like, you see these contestants one at a time, staying at the base of a large, steep hill. And there's these three large exercise balls at the bottom of this hill. And they're given a task that reads, place three, three exercise balls on the yoga mat on the top of that hill. The task is completed when all three balls sit fully inflated and stationary on the mat. Then over the next few minutes, the show, like, shows the compilation of several of these contestants struggling to get these three large exercise balls up the hill. So someone try to get all three up at a time, but they can't carry all three, so they're like kicking one and carrying two, but then the one they're kicking rolls away. Or one guy tries to take them one at a time, so he puts one on top of the hill, goes to get the next one, only to have the wind blow the one that was on the top of the hill back down the hill. <laughs> and so they're struggling to get these exercise balls on top of the mat. But eventually we see four of the contestants finished the task with various levels of difficulty. They all struggled, right, but they got it done. But then we realized that one contestant hasn't been shown at all. 
And so then finally the show shows his effort to complete this task. So he reads the task, and immediately he runs to the top of the hill, leaving the ball behind, grabs the yoga mat, brings the yoga mat back down to the base of the hill, and sets the, yoga, the ball on top of the yoga mat at the base of the hill. And so the way the show works, like, the other contestants don't see how each contestant completes the task until like, they're watching it later in the studio. Until they show, they cut back to the studio where the other contestants are seeing this guy complete this task in this creative way. And the big argument breaks out about whether that's a valid way to complete that task. In fact, it got so big that they had to like, call in a linguist to like, decide if this is a valid way to read the task. Right? And so again, just for your reference, the task reads, place these three exercise balls on the yoga mat on the top of that hill. The task is completed when all three balls sit fully inflated and stationary on the mat. So this linguist that called them determined that it was indeed valid to interpret that as, like, it's the mat on top of the hill that needs to have the balls on them, but you can move the mat, right? And so that, there was a fine loophole that this contestant found, and he won the task. Like, it's, a, it's human. Like, people, we just, we love loopholes, right? Like, we love finding the path of least resistance. Like, there's a reason things like, like, work smarter, not harder, are a thing. Like, many of us are lazy. Right? At least I am. Maybe none of you are, but I, <laughs> I like, like finding lazy ways to get things done. And so we just like, love the idea, like, of getting something for nothing or something for less effort than it normally requires. And as Eric talked about, like, today is Reformation Day and the day when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses. And, like, and he said, like, the vast majority of these theses were about, like, the church selling indulgences. And in fact, like, we tend to refer to the document he posted as the 95 Theses, but the actual title of that document, at least in one publication, was a disputation on the power and efficacy of indulgences. And indulgences were basically just, like, the loophole to end all loopholes. <laughs> right? Like, instead of, instead of repenting of sin and doing acts of mercy and living this generally God-honoring life, you just give the church some money and get time off of purgatory. Right? Like we don't have time to get into all the church's beliefs about purgatory during that time. We don't have time to get into all the details of the indulgence system. But in a nutshell, like indulgences were just a way to buy your way into heaven. Like you could skip all the hard work of the Christian life and you could buy your way in. It's just it's a loophole to avoid all the hard part of the Christian life. Like we think of like Martin Luther and his 95 Theses at the start of the Protestant Reformation when the Protestant Church emerges, and it, it definitely is that. But it also started the Counter-Reformation within the Catholic Church. Like where the Catholic Church itself recognized that some of the problems that Luther pointed out were indeed problematic, and they reformed some of their own ways from Within, like, that's why you can't buy indulgences in the same way today, even if you're Catholic. And so, like, if you're here and you're coming from a Catholic perspective, even if you talk about Reformation Day, like, I don't want that to be seen as like a Catholic bashing thing. Like, even for like, from a Catholic perspective, right, the, the Reformation was an impetus for valuable reforms, even within the Catholic Church. It's all I have to say. Like, it's just it was a helpful thing for churches of all kinds. But Luther's overarching message 
that there are no loopholes in the Christian life. Like there's no way to take a shortcut into heaven. There's no loopholes. We see Jesus teaching a very similar thing in this week's passage. We're in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We'll be in verses 25 to 42. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you need one, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And these these verses contain two pretty famous scenes from Jesus' ministry. First, there is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which if you made a list of Jesus' most famous teachings, the parable of the Good Samaritan would be pretty high on that list. And then the second scene is the scene where two sisters, Mary and Martha, are having very different opinions on what it looks like to honor Jesus. There's a good chance that if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you grew up going to church, like you're familiar with both of these stories. But usually when we think about them, we think about them in, in isolation. I think about the parable of the Good Samaritan and stop. Like, it's a story by itself. And over here there's a story of Mary and Martha totally isolated from everything else. We see them as two totally disconnected stories. But there's a reason right, that Luke chose to put them back to back, right, right next to each other in his account. I think the reason is that in both of these stories, we see an example of someone who's looking for a loophole to get out of doing the full extent of what God requires. We see that first in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what we read in this passage is that like what God requires that like what God required boils down really to two things: right? love God and love people. And both of these stories involve people trying to take shortcuts around those requirements. So if I could like just summarize the main idea of this passage for us and how we apply it to our lives is this: like love God, love people, and don't look for loopholes. With that said, like let's read this passage together, starting in verse 25 of Luke. Chapter 10, we read, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So there are two things throughout the Gospels that if Jesus does them to you, like you should probably buckle up, because it's not going to go well for you for a minute here. So one of those things is, if Jesus asks you a question, like look out, right? Because new flesh, like Jesus doesn't need information from you. Like if he asks you a question, like he has a reason for it, and it's not to answer some question he has. He's going to try to teach you something. And so Jesus like, asked this man the question, like, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man gives a good and a right answer. So like, maybe this man thinks like, he's passed the test. Right? But the second thing that like, should warn you if Jesus starts talking to you, that he does, is, like, if Jesus starts to tell you a story, like, you really better buckle up, right? Because Jesus tells stories to like, overturn a lot of preconceived notions. Right? So this expert in the law asks Jesus a question, and Jesus responds first by asking him a question back, and then by telling him a story. 
So this is the story Jesus tells the man. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. And then the story continues. Jesus and the disciples continue walking on. They were on their way and they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, are you worried and upset about, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's like the central issue overhanging this whole passage is the question the expert in the law asked at the very beginning. What must I do to inherit eternal life. But then Jesus turns the question back on the man and asks him what he thinks. And this man, being an expert in the law, should be able to give a thoughtful answer. And indeed he does. He says, love God and love your neighbor. And so Jesus tells him, like, yeah, that's right, you've answered correctly. And it's worth noting like, what this doesn't mean. Like, it doesn't mean like, it's, that it's totally fine if you ignore all the other laws as long as you keep those two. Like, that's not what Jesus is saying, the lawyer is saying. Like, rather, it means like, all the rest of the Old Testament laws are built on and based on those two laws. Like, if you obey those two laws, you can't help but obey all the others. Like, like, if you love God, like, you're not going to worship idols. Like, like, if you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. Like, right? So as long as you obey those two laws, then you will automatically kind of obey the whole law. Right? So the whole law can be set up in these two commandments. And the first of these is to love God. The, the expert in the law says, like, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Which is almost exactly a quote from Deuteronomy 6.5, except in Deuteronomy the part with all your mind is not there. He adds it here. And I, think, I think he adds it because it reiterates the main point, which is that you should love God with all of yourselves. When the Bible says, love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, it's not saying like different parts of you can love God different amounts. Right? It's not like you can say, like, well, I love God with my mind really well today, but like my heart 
wasn't in it. Or you can't say, like, oh, my soul is really loving God, but I'm not doing it with all my strength. Like, that's not, it's not like different parts of you that can love God different amounts. When it says those things, it means, like, all of you. Like, day in, day out, every minute of every day, all of yourself should be dedicated to loving God. Like, every ounce of your being should be committed to loving God. Like, your love for God should be all-consuming. Like, love for God is not something you do on occasion. It's not something you do half-heartedly. The Bible calls us to love God with all of ourselves. It's a way of life. If we're doing that, if we're loving God with all of our beings, all of ourselves, then obeying the second law comes naturally. The second law is to love people. To love our neighbors as ourselves. Like, you can't love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and at the same time say like, oh God, I love you, but that person over there that you created in your image, yeah, I don't like him. If you can't do that, they don't go together. It doesn't work. If you love God with all of your being, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. That's a command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's a big command. Because like, I love me. I'm really good at loving myself. I'm really good at looking out for my own best interest. If I'm hungry, I'm really good at finding myself some food to eat. If I'm hurt, I'm really good at making sure that I get healed up. If I'm lonely, I go seek out friendship. If I have to do some hard job, I'm very glad to accept help from somebody else. But to love somebody else in that same way? Like, like how often do I see somebody else, who is, somebody who's hungry, right, and just kind of turn a blind eye? Or how often do I see somebody who's hurting and think, eh, they'll figure it out? Or how often do I, I see someone who is lonely, but I'd rather go do my own thing than go be a friend to them? Or see someone who's facing some hard job they have to do and think, Glad that's not me. Like, like, this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself, like to love somebody else the way you love yourself is a huge calling. Like, I can get close, maybe, with my wife and my kids, but even then, I'm definitely not perfect. But people further removed than that, like, it's a big task to love people that way. this, This expert in the law, this man realizes like what a big task it is. How impossible a task it is. So he starts looking for loopholes. He's looking for a loophole to justify himself. He wants to show that he is keeping this law somehow. So in verse 29 we read, he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And just notice like what part of the command Jesus or this man focuses on. It's the loving your neighbor part. Like he skips right over the loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind part. Like, he skips right over that because he knows, like, yeah, I didn't do that. I don't do that. Like, no one keeps that one fully and perfectly. So, like, our reaction should be the same. Right? If, you, if you read, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you think, oh yeah, check. If you don't automatically think, like, uh, I've failed when I read that. Like, then like, 
I would say, Jets, if you think you've got that one down, then you probably have a bit too much pride. No one consistently loves God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, like, all their life. And the lawyer understands that. So he he doesn't even bother trying to justify himself there. He just skips right to the, the neighbor part. And he thinks, well, if I can define neighbor narrowly enough, there's a chance I can say that I've kept that law. And so he, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus responds with the parable of the good Samaritan. Right? The story of this man, this Jewish man, who's walking on this notoriously dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And some robbers who are common on that road, they come and they rob him and they leave him half dead. But then a priest comes along and he sees the man, but he passes by on the other side. And then a Levite comes along and he passes by on the other side as well. And like a priest and a Levite, these are supposed to be like the best of the best of God's people. Like, like they, more than anyone, should know the importance of obeying God's command to love your neighbor as yourself. But they pass right by this man. But then a Samaritan comes along. And we've talked before about how the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. But just as one example of that, Jews would actively pray that God would not hear the prayers of Samaritans or forgive their sins. They would pray, God, like, don't hear their prayer, don't forgive them. Like, that's the animosity between these two groups. So the last person you would expect to help a Jewish man laying beaten on the side of the road is a Samaritan. Like, the natural default reaction that would go through that Samaritan's mind is, yeah, that guy got what he deserved. So that's not how he responds. Right? The Samaritan stops and he takes like, exceptional care of this man. Like he doesn't just provide minimal care to make sure he stays alive. Like he generously gives of his time and his money and his resources to make sure this man is well cared for. And then Jesus concludes this parable by saying, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert of the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So the expert in the law is looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way to draw a very tight circle around who it actually was that he was required to love. But Jesus tells this parable, the point of like, there is no loophole. In fact, the call to love people means loving all people. Like, our neighbors include our bitterest enemies. We are called to love those who hate us. We are called to love those who our culture looks down on. We are called to love those that we would rather have nothing to do with. We are even called to love those who actively pray against us. And to love them, not just in a perfunctory kind of way. Loving here doesn't mean just like coexisting with. There are people in my past who like I didn't really get along with, right? But like I not want to make a scene so we'd show up in the same room together and I'd be friendly and kind and whatever and like put on a happy face and not make a scene. We kind of get through our time together and move on. 
Right? But like, that's not what love looks like here. It's not just like putting up with your enemy. It's loving. And the example Jesus gives here is extravagant. The Samaritan binds the man's wounds. And he probably wasn't like carrying a first aid kit. So he probably ripped his own clothing to create bandages for this man. He poured oil and wine on the man's wounds. He took the time to take the man to an inn and then tend to his wounds at the inn. And then he gives the innkeeper two denarii, which is like two days' wages to care for the man and promises to pay more when he returns. And he, and he promises to return. Right? If I was in the Samaritan's shoes and I like, for some reason felt this compulsion to be kind to this man, right? like, I would drop him off at the inn and be like, walk away. Be like, oh, I feel good about myself. Like, I, I was nice. And I'd like, wash my hands of the whole situation. But the, the Samaritan doesn't stop there. He comes back. When he comes back, he offers to pay any extra expense. But that's generous love. There is no loophole. Loving people means loving all people. And it means loving them with the same kind of generous love that we love ourselves with. And from there, Luke turned our attention to the story of, of Martha and Mary. So Jesus and the steps are walking and they come to this village and they, there's this woman named Martha who generously opens her house to Jesus. And Martha has a sister named Mary who's also there. But Mary's not helping Martha be a good hostess. She's not serving. Instead, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, which is like the posture of a disciple. She is learning from Jesus. And Martha comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. To which Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Like at first glance, that seems maybe a bit harsh. Like Martha has opened her home to Jesus, and she is serving him. She's doing all she can to serve him and meet his needs. Like, shouldn't that be commended? But Jesus wants us to see here that I think Martha is kind of after another kind of loophole that Jesus wants to close. And that loophole is like love means more than mere service. Love involves actually knowing another person. There's a relational component to what love really looks like. Like in that process of letting yourself be known and of taking the time to actually know another person and to relate to them, that can be a hard and a costly process. And Martha doesn't necessarily want to deal with that. She doesn't want to know Jesus deeper, to be known by Him. Like she's looking to use her act of service as a loophole to get out of truly relating to Jesus. Like we're all prone to do the same thing. Like it's a lot easier just to like keep a checklist of things I'm supposed to do to make God happy. 
than it is actually like putting in the time to relate to Him and know Him. And it's like it's become trendy to say Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. And I have like some qualms about that statement. Like I don't think religion and relationship are necessarily like mutually exclusive. But the point that that thing is driving at, I think, is what Jesus is saying here. Knowing God and loving God is about more than just doing acts of service. It's, not, it's more than just doing the things that we think will make Him happy with us. Like we don't do a, have our quiet time. We don't read our Bible. It's just to like check it off a to-do list. Like it's to know God. When we pray, we don't just say a perfunctory prayer to check it off a to-do list, but it's to know and relate to God. Knowing God, loving God, is about more than just doing the acts He asked us to do. It's about more than mere obedience or mere service. It's about relating to Him. It's about sitting at His feet as a disciple and learning from Him. To truly love God means knowing Him and being known by Him. But that can be scary. Like, we don't always want to be known. We don't want to let God see how badly we've failed so many times. Which, of course, is ridiculous. And we know it's ridiculous because God knows everything. But yet, we feel like if we can just kind of pull away from God, then we can hide some of our failures from Him. If we just pull away a little bit, God won't be aware of all the ways that we've failed. If I can just keep my distance, then God won't see all the times that I've failed to love people the way He calls me to love them. He won't see how bad I felt at loving Him if I just keep doing good works that make Him happy. But the whole point of this passage this is what is required of you. There are no loopholes to meet these requirements. If you want eternal life, that was the starting question. Like, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And the answer is you have to love God with all of yourself and you have to love everyone as yourself. Like we've failed to do both of those constantly. So then what hope do we have of eternal life if there are no loopholes? And the answer is, our, like, our only hope is that if someone did those things on our behalf, like, only if there is some way for us to be forgiven, like, it's our only hope. We've failed so many times, we need forgiveness. And that's why Jesus matters. Jesus didn't just come as a good teacher to teach us how to love others than to love God. He came to be the only one who ever perfectly loved God and loved others. And the greatest expression of that love is what He did for us on the cross. And going to the cross, Jesus didn't look for loopholes to get out of doing it. He willingly endured pain and suffering and death because He loved us as Himself. He loved us enough to die the death we deserved to die for our sins on our behalf. So that our sins can be forgiven if we placed our faith and trust in Him. On the cross, Jesus takes our place and God treats Jesus as if He sinned every sin we ever sinned. But also on the cross, 
Jesus gave us His righteousness. That God treats us as if we lived the perfect life Jesus lived. God treats us as if we loved others the way Jesus loved others. That God treats us as if we loved God the way Jesus loved God. And Martin Luther, who we've been talking about this morning for the Reformation Day, he called this a wonderful exchange. He wrote, this is, this is the mystery which is rich in divine grace to sinners. We're in a wonderful exchange. Our sins are no longer ours, but Christ's. And the righteousness of Christ is not Christ's, but ours. He has emptied himself of his righteousness that he might clothe us with it and fill us with it. He has taken our evils upon himself that he might deliver us from them. So none of us can love God and love people perfectly the way we're called to in this passage. But Jesus did. And then going to the cross, He offered to give us His righteousness if we had placed our faith in Him. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, never believed in Him, I just urge you to do that. Eternal life requires that you love God and love people perfectly. You can't do it in your own power. You've failed many times already. You will fail many times again. But Christ has done it for you, so trust in Him. We receive His righteousness. And if you're here and you have trusted in Jesus, and the encouragement from this passage is to continue to grow in these things. If the solution is not like, well, Jesus did it for me, so now I can, don't have to worry about it. If you've trusted in Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit at work in you, the Holy Spirit is there like, to prompt you and enable you to love God and to love people. If we won't be perfect, we will still fail, we will still be selfish at times, but the Holy Spirit is at work in those of us who have believed in Jesus to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. And being made into the image of Christ and becoming more and more like Him in the way He loved God and the way He loved people. So like my hope as we leave here that this passage would encourage us to love God well Right? Not in a perfunctory way, not in a check-off thing, not in a checklist way, but to love to God by relating to Him well, by knowing Him. And I hope that this passage would prompt us right, to love others as ourselves. Not just our friends, not just our family, not just the people we're comfortable with. Right? But this passage would prompt us and encourage us and equip us to love others, all others, well, to love them as ourselves. Not because it will earn us favor with God. Jesus already did that. And not because it can get us into heaven if we do these things. Like we can't do that in our own power. I hope that we would do that because Jesus, who loves you enough to die for you, invites you to do it. To follow after Him. To be like Him. So do we go from here loving God?
God and loving people like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you, Father, we thank you for your word, for the way it convicts us of places we've failed to be obedient to you, but also for its message of grace that even though we've failed, we are not without hope, that you do not leave us in our failures and our sins, but that you send Jesus to live the perfect life we failed to live on our behalf, so that by believing in him, you would see us as if we lived that perfect life of Jesus. You love us so well. Your grace towards us is so great. Do we not take that for granted? Thank you for all you've done for us. God, would our thankfulness to you, would it overflow out of us as a desire to live the life you have called us to live? Would it overflow out of us with a desire to love you, to know you, to relate to you? to love you with all of ourselves. And what you've done for us, would it prompt us to love the people around us as ourselves. To love others, whether they're our friends or our enemies, whether they're in our social circle or outside of it, whether they're friend or foe. And would we love them well, the way Jesus loved them. Knowing that our love for others can't earn more favor with you, but because we want to, we desire to honor you with our lives because of what you've done for us in Jesus. Yeah, but we love you well. We love people well. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we go from here today, would you go with the with eyes to see who God has brought into your life that you can love well? Would you go desiring to love them with the love that Jesus showed you? And would you go desiring to deepen your love and relationship with God? You are dismissed.